In June 2019, Johns Hopkins University released a report on the state of the Providence public schools. Here are some of the most telling parts. The majority of teachers and students appeared to have largely given up on education. Students spent most of their time on their phones or socializing, yelling, or moving around the room. There was a leaking raw sewer pipe for over a year. It dripped on the heads of the children as they passed through the threshold and they had to dodge the drips in the puddle. Beyond the scathing report, more problems have come to light. Parents and teachers attended public forums and shared harrowing stories. Last year, I had a ninth grader that didn't know how to read. Even the new education commissioner did not hide the realities in Providence. The big takeaway is, is that things are actually worse than the report. Today on BP Radio, we are going close to home, but worlds away from Brown University. We are going to see how one city, Providence, attempts to fix its broken education system. This is the first episode in the series on the Providence schools and the state takeover, and a look into the heart of the American education system. From the Brown Political Review, I'm Rachel Lim. And I'm Morgan Honor. This is BP Radio. So, welcome to Season 3 of BP Radio. My name is Morgan Honor. And I'm Rachel Lim, and we're your hosts this season. We are juniors at Brown University studying public policy and economics, and we're excited for you to join us on this journey. Our first episode is on the Providence School Takeover, and we're going to dive right in. So let's take a step back and look at what's actually going on here. Providence is the largest school district in Rhode Island, with over 24,000 students in 41 schools. In a long-standing trend, the academic outcomes of the district are way below the national average. Fewer than one in five students are proficient in math or English, and these outcomes are even worse for students that are economically disadvantaged, with only 6% of these students being proficient in English by 8th grade. Besides woeful test scores, school buildings are crumbling, bad teachers are almost impossible to fire, and very little learning occurs. As the new education commissioner, Angelica Infante-Green, has repeatedly pointed out, blame can be put on every adult involved. The question is not how Providence got here, but where it needs to go. Last spring, top officials, including the mayor of Providence, governor of Rhode Island, city council, and the new education commissioner, came together and decided to take drastic action. A state takeover of the Providence School District. As of today, the Providence School District is now under the control of the state. To get a better sense of Providence schools and what led to this action, we talked to people who were part of the Johns Hopkins report. Domingo Morral. I'm Domingo Morral. I'm an assistant professor of political science at Rutgers University in Newark. And Paige Kloshes Park. My name is Paige Kloshes Parks. I'm a senior policy analyst at Rhode Island Kids Count. Both of them conducted interviews for the Johns Hopkins report and had different reactions to the various parts of it. Paige went into the schools to conduct her interviews. So I went in knowing that I would, you know, expecting to see some challenges because it was not my first time in Providence schools. Um, However, I was very shocked, I guess, at the how pervasive 
the problems were that I saw. Okay. I think optimistically, <laughs> I thought when I had worked with individual young people, you know, it's easy to think like, oh, this is one particular classroom, or this is one particular incident. But when you see that played out over and over and over again in so many different classrooms, mm -hmm. that's when you start to see that this is not about one particular student or one particular teacher or one classroom or one school, but this is a systemic problem. Yeah. Um, and doing the review, going into so many schools and classrooms, um, helped to really illustrate that problem um, in a very large way. Domingo was also a part of the Johns Hopkins review, but had a different experience as he was interviewing city officials. I was part of the Johns Hopkins review team, right. and so I was, I was, I listened to. I was part of the, you know, the people who asked questions to to gather these the, these data, this information, and it's very clear that there are things that need to be done differently. And I think for people who have been, who either attended the Providence schools, have been in some ways involved with the Providence schools, uh, these are these are long, um, enduring issues that the school district has has encountered, um, mm -hmm. and so. Any Anyone who has been part of the schools in some way can attest to, you know, some some of these challenges that have been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, so there were no surprises to me you know, from what we learned. Their differing views can be attributed a lot to their experiences in Providence. Yeah, Domingo actually attended Providence schools. Well, most of Paige's experience is doing outside advocacy work or working in a local charter school. So before we go any further... Rachel, do you know what a school takeover is? I'm not really sure, but it sounds like the governor running into Providence and taking over a high school math class. Well, not exactly. So it's either the state legislature, department, state department of education, or a state court um, taking the governance power away from a local entity, which is usually a school board um, you know, and, and, and city government. So not as dramatic as I thought. No, but there are huge political ramifications to takeovers. Part of Domingo's research argues that low academic performance is not the only indicator to prompt school takeovers. The majority of school takeovers have occurred in heavily minority, low-income cities, which Domingo does not think is a coincidence. Majority black communities that experience the takeover and they experience hostile Types of interventions where the local school board is removed, local um, you know governance structures that have been um, had to have uh, were fought over right during the 1960s and the 1970s to right. be able to provide communities the power to have a say over their schools. That all of that gets dismantled as a result of the takeover. Domingo is pointing out the conventional idea that state takeovers take power away from the local school districts and place it in the hands of state leaders. This was apparent in the Newark, New Jersey takeover in 1995, which is widely regarded as an example of failure in state intervention. Not only did academic performance not increase, but representation of the majority black community was completely lost after the takeover. Not all state takeovers have such drastic effects on the community. A state takeover has actually already occurred in Rhode Island, in the next city over, Central Falls. That majority uh, Latina school board was there as a result of the state takeover that happened in the 1990s. Uh, the state appoints the school board in, in Central Falls, and 
it seemed like the community there, uh, the Latino community in Central Falls, was able to gain political empowerment and representation as a result of the takeover, which was kind of um, contradicted Mm -hmm. much of what we thought we knew about takeovers at the time. So basically, we could see a change in leadership in the schools and who actually has representation. Exactly. But now I'm wondering about what actually happens in the schools. How does this affect the bad test scores or the leaky pipes? That's why we talked to Paige. She worked at Rhode Island Kids Count, which is an advocacy and data organization that works to improve the health, economic well-being, and education of all children in Rhode Island. But before that, Paige's actual experience inside the classroom. I did work with teachers and administrators on creating safe schools policies mm-hmm. um, and then decided, like, I should go into the classroom. Like, I'm telling <laughs> other educators what to do, but I've never done it day to day. So that's when I got certified to be a classroom teacher. Um, so that really helped to inform um, and gave me some insight between where policy and practice doesn't always meet mm-hmm. and, how, and how to align that. So um, I came back into policy work um, after also becoming a parent. Using this lens, Paige has an interesting view of what she thinks is next for the Providence schools. We are in a really interesting uh, time period where mm-hmm. we have both this report, we have leadership who is willing and able and very vocal about making change. We have students and youth organizations who have been working for a long time to mobilize students. We have parents and parent groups who are now also um, organized and mobilized. We have some really great opportunities here. We have the business community Mm -hmm. that is interested in paying attention and listening, and we have the broadcast scores that are giving us the data behind the experiences that we've heard about. We have all the right ingredients right right now at this time to make a change. Um, And I think that is really important. Um, And I think that's critical for success. I think the challenge will be keeping up the momentum, okay. making sure we don't get complacent, mm-hmm. making sure we keep the urgency, we keep our eye on the goal. Um, many folks may have different ideas of how to get to that goal, so we need to continue to talk to each other and remind ourselves why are we doing this, and it's for the kids. Right. So everything we do needs to be for our kids. I think if we do that, we will be successful. Paige sounds optimistic. It seems like people in Providence are really ready to do things. Yeah, and Domingo agrees. Providence is ready for action. Yeah, so Providence is a really interesting situation now uh, because uh, for the most part, we don't see any uh, objection to the takeover from any of the local institutions. So the school board has not objected to the takeover. The mayor's office has mm-hmm. not objected to the takeover. Even the community groups who've been fighting for a greater voice, I'm not objecting to the takeover. They just want it to be a different type of takeover. And so in that case, it's um, it's not like uh, Newark or some other cities where uh, communities view the takeover as an, an effort to disempower them and to um, impose upon their community a certain type of education agenda policy that is not welcome. However, Domingo doesn't think a takeover is the right way to make change in Providence schools. And so I think that the 
rather than a takeover, the state can be more of a kind of coordinator. Uh, there are things that need to be different. But the people that are responsible for these kinds of things, for the school board, the city council, the um, school administrators uh, and, and community leaders, mm -hmm. they all recognize that things need to be different and are, in, in my view, very open to having the types of conversations that lead to change. And so um, if we say to them, you know, you have been part of the problem and therefore we need to get you out of the way, yeah. which is what a takeover does, then I think it removes that goodwill that's around the table to lead to the type of changes that I think everybody wants to make, right? And so I think that there's there's two different two, two ways to go about it. Oh, you know, potentially more ways to go about it, but at the very least, I think that there's reason, uh, possibilities here for the type of partnerships between states and local um, districts okay. that we frankly haven't been able to see in other places. Both Domingo and Page illustrate the central conflict. Can the state takeover work in Providence? Or will community members, parents, and students be shoved aside by state bureaucracy and political motives? At the heart of all this is a question. Who knows what is best for our kids? Thank you for tuning into the first of our two-part series on the Providence School Takeover. We hope you'll join us for the rest of the season as we explore a number of topics, including academic freedom, food security, and the Kashmir elections. Thanks again for tuning in and catch you next time.